Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. Just one verse of Scripture uh, from which we will uh, go into our message this morning. We've been thinking about Israel. Uh, we've been thinking about the uniqueness of that nation. We've thought about Israel as a place, the land, and how the land has been given to the Jewish people. We thought about the Jewish people themselves. We thought about them as a people, and we saw that they were and are an eternal people. And now this morning, I want to think about their preservation. And here in verse 7, we have the words of Joseph. And Joseph says to his brothers, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. Now I'm going to ask you a question that will give away your age. So if you don't want your age given away, don't answer the question out loud. Okay? Here's the question. How many people remember the children's TV show, Captain Scarlet? Captain Scarlet. <laughs> Philip Gilway's age. Captain Scarlet. Captain Scarlet was great. If you miss Captain Scarlet, listen, you haven't lived. And the thing about Captain Scarlet was he was indestructible. That was the, the theme of the whole movie, that Captain Scarlet couldn't be killed. Well, friends, Israel is the Captain Scarlet of the nations. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but the covenant people of God, that chosen nation, are, as we saw last Lord's Day, the forever people. Now, if you want proof of that, you only have to consider their history. Centuries of exile, of anti-Semitism, even which we saw yesterday expressed, sadly, on the streets of London, and persecution have not destroyed them. What other nation could be exiled from their land twice? Once for about a hundred years, and on another occasion for 2,000 years, and yet they return with their religion and their culture and their language intact. You see, that is the story of Israel. That is the record of the Jew. He is indestructible, and God has made him so. If you look at the history of Israel, you look at their record, those civilizations, those nations, those empires that in one way or another tried to govern them or to occupy their land or in some way to oppress or destroy the Jewish people, you'll find in every instance those nations and empires have been judged of God. Of course, uh, Joseph, when he speaks about the Lord saving their lives by a great deliverance, is talking about their, their exodus from Egypt, ultimately. And of course, ancient Egypt is gone. This time last year, my wife and I were in Egypt. I can tell you Egypt is a third world country. This nation that once ruled great tracts of land around the earth, that had the riches of the earth, that had other nations trembling before it, is now a third world country. Gone. The Philistines, gone. The Assyrian Empire, gone. The Babylonian Empire, gone. The Persian Empire, gone. 
The Greek Empire, gone. The Roman Empire, gone. The Byzantine Empire, gone. The Crusaders, gone. Spanish Empire, gone. Hitler's Nazi Germany is gone. My goodness, today, where, 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 where would you have thought it? Today you have an, a land in Germany, a, a government in Germany that is supporting Israel in their battle against Hamas. Nazi Germany is gone. The British Empire is gone. And the Soviet Union is gone. And yet Israel remains. You see, no matter how hard men may try, no matter how much even their own belief and their own, at times, idolatry has provoked the wrath of God against them, God, as a covenant-keeping God, will always maintain his remnant. And that is true until the end of time. And that's what I want you to see this morning. That God always has a remnant of believers contained within the land of Israel who will maintain this succession of the land from the beginning of its, of its birth all the way through to the very end of time. Now, I want to go back to the beginning here uh, this, this morning and, and think about even before Israel was a nation. You know, you had Abraham and then you had Isaac. And then you had Jacob. And Jacob, of course, as we know, had 12 sons. And those 12 sons followed Joseph down into the land of Egypt. And there they had children. And we know that ultimately there was 70 in all of Jacob's family that dwelt in the land of, uh, of uh, Egypt. Uh, but when uh, Joseph uh, is, uh, is bringing this, uh, this word of assurance or reassurance to his brothers... He says to them, as they're, as they're concerned about him exacting revenge upon them for selling him into slavery and ultimately causing him to be in Egypt, he says, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now you see the word posterity in that verse. That's a little word you ought to underline. The Hebrew word is she'erith. Shareeth, and it literally means remnant. He says, God has sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant in the earth. You see, no matter how dark the day, no matter how difficult the time, God always has his remnant. And by the time Israel leave Egypt, some 400 years after this time, their number has swollen from a mere 70 in a family to about 2.5 million, at the very least 2.5 million people, and potentially up to 6 million people who leave the land of Egypt and make their way back to the land of promise. You see, friends, God is always preserving his people. And we see this right throughout the Bible. We see it during the reign of the kings. Look in 1 Kings, if you will, in chapter 19. And this morning, I'm just going to take you through a chain reference of scriptures that will make this same point over and over and over again. Let's begin reading in 1 Kings chapter 19. And verse 8, this is where Elijah has already had his showdown with the prophets of Baal. 
and of course they've been destroyed. And Jezebel has reacted very badly to that and has threatened his life. And Elijah, out of fear, has made his way out into the wilderness. And we read in verse 8 that he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. This is after the Lord ministered to him by means of an angel. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou hear, Elijah? Notice he makes the same complaint. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said unto him, Go return in thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet, now notice verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now here's the poor Elijah, and he thinks that during Ahab's reign, he's it. He's God's last true representative upon earth. You know, sometimes we think that way. Sometimes we think we're the only Christian around for miles, that nobody else is holding the standard for the gospel. But it's not true, you know. And it wasn't true of Elijah either. Even though he was feeling sorry for himself, already Obadiah, the governor of Ahab's palace, had sheltered a hundred prophets in a cave. And far beyond that now, God reveals to this prophet that there are some 7,000 believing Jews in the land who have not bowed the knee to Ahab's apostate rule. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel. They are God's reserve. And that phrase, yea, have I left, yet have I left, is the Hebrew phrase, sha'ar. In other words, it's a remainder. It's a remnant. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, you might think, you might think you're the only one who's standing for truth. You might think you're the only prophet left in the land. You might believe that Ahab has the upper hand. You might consider the possibility that the people of Israel are about to be finally annihilated. But I want you to understand, Elijah, I have a remnant. 
a remainder. 7,000 of them in all in the land. 7,000 that hadn't apostatized. 7,000 who were true to God. This in ancient Israel in the northern kingdom, a kingdom devoid of a godly king from its inception until its end. A kingdom that was on the verge of spiritual disaster and yet God reveals a godly remnant within its borders. We see it not only in Elijah's ministry, we see it in Isaiah's ministry. Look in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, of course, comes along much later than Elijah and Elisha. And he sees a time when the people of Israel are going to be taken into exile. They're going to be judged for their sin and for their indifference to the things of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 9, Isaiah gets a new commission. And the Lord says to him, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Understand, this is a statement of judgment. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long is this state going to last? He answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Now watch verse 13. He says, But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, as an oak, whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Now that 13th verse is telling Isaiah that despite the fact that the land is about to be judged, despite the fact that the land will be left desolate, despite the fact that there will be many men taken, still with all a tenth of the land shall remain. There's God's remnant. You know, he talks about them being a seed. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. You know, what is a seed? A seed represents the fruit of tomorrow. You know, you hold apple seed in your hand. Well, what is that? That's tomorrow's harvest. You're holding in the palm of your hand the entire DNA required to revive that plant. And you know, in, in, in the world at large, and even in our own country, we have seed banks. In Kew Gardens and in London, the Royal Botanic Gardens, they have the largest plant conservation in the world, the Millennium Seed Bank Partnership, and they've preserved there about 10% of the world's wild plant species. Well, here God has preserved 10% of Israel, 10% of his people. You see, God always has his own seed bank. And we see him preserving the future of the nation of Judah by storing his holy seed, which remains of the nation within in the land after the captivity. Israel, friends, cannot be destroyed. Isaiah's whole ministry anticipated 
the captive, uh, captivity of Judah. He foresaw the impending exile of God's people. But his message was not a hopeless message, for he foresaw that this remnant would be saved. Look back in chapter 7 and verse or, uh, forward, sorry, in chapter 7 and verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. Thou and notice, share Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Notice the name of Isaiah's son. He calls his son Sher Jashub. You don't hear that name often these days, do you? Sher Jashub. I've said before, if you, anybody ever names your children that name, I'll personally give you a big gift, okay? A big gift for the boy that's named Sher Jashub. You can hold me to that. But uh, here's the thing. Sher Jashub has that same Hebrew word at the start of it. She are a remnant. And it means, quite literally, a remnant shall return. And so on the one hand, whilst Isaiah is telling this people, you're going into exile, 70 years, you're going to go to Babylon. On the other hand, he's telling them that a remnant shall return. Look in chapter 10 of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 20. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 20. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day, notice, that the remnant of Israel and such are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. Notice, the remnant shall return. That's the name Sher Jashub. God employs it. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. You know, in fact, when you, when you look at Isaiah's family as a whole, every one of his children has a symbolic name. But this fellow speaks about a remnant. And what separates the remnant from the rest of the nation? Here's what separates them. Belief. They're the faithful ones. Go back to chapter 8 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Here's what the prophet says under inspiration of the Spirit of God. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in, in Mount Zion. You understand that God has a believing remnant. He says, that I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. I will look for him. You think about the, we're, we'll be in, 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 uh, next month we'll be in the Christmas season and uh, likely we'll quote uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 of this prophecy for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and so on listen to the listen to the words of the prophecy for unto us a child is born who's the us in that question you know or that statement you and i at christmas time we make that us apply to ourselves we we say it's unto us a child is born and yes there's an application there that's true but in its literal interpretation, the us in that particular verse is applicable specifically to the Jews, to the remnant. 
For unto us, the remnant of the Jews, this child is born. Unto us, a son is given. In other words, the remnant of God is true Israel. This is the Israel that uh, Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16, who he calls the Israel of God. You see, there's an Israel that's in unbelief. That's where you are today with the land of Israel as it sits right now. But there's an Israel of God. Among the Jewish people, there are those who believe. Among the Jewish people are those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, who have recognized him as their Messiah. So we see under Elijah's ministry this promise of a remnant. Now, we're going to do a sword drill. Remember sword drill from Sunday school? This is where you have to know your way around the Bible. Are you ready? We're going to look at how this is true under the ministry of the pre-exilic prophets, those prophets who ministered before the captivity. And we're going to start in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23. Now keep up with me here because I'm going to go quite fast. You're going to need to work your thumbs on this one and stick with me as we read these verses. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 3. Notice what God says. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 3, I still hear rustling the paper. You're very slow. You'll never win the prize at this rate. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 3. Okay. And I will gather all the, rem- I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increased. Notice that word remnant. I will gather the remnant from where? Out of all countries, everywhere they've gone, I will bring them again to their folds under the care of the shepherd. Look at Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 6. Now these are the easy verses. We're going to get into the minor prophets in a little bit. And then you're going to wish you'd come out to those midweek meetings. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 8. Notice again, there's a remnant who are to be spared. Yet... Will I leave a remnant that you may have some that shall escape the sword among the nations whom when ye shall be scattered through the countries? Notice again, a remnant that will escape the sword that shall be uh, be brought back having been scattered throughout the nations. Uh, Look in the book of Joel, Joel and chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And we want to look at the 32nd verse. Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. It says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Notice again that belief is the criteria for being part of the remnant. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion... And in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Look now at the book of Amos. Amos, the very next book, chapter 5 and verse 15. Amos chapter 5 and verse 18. God says through the prophet, Hate the evil and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord God of hosts, will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Look in Micah, Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 
It says, In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, that's those that limp, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. Here is Israel, and she's on her knees. And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. Now to the book of Sephaniah, Sephaniah chapter 3. Sephaniah chapter 3. And verse 13, where God says, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in her mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. You see, one prophet after another, before they went into captivity, said the same thing. God is going to preserve a remnant. He's going to keep a remainder for himself. He's not going to allow the land to be completely destroyed. He's not going to allow the people to be completely decimated. He's intending to keep some. He's intending to reserve some. He's providentially protecting some. He's keeping them for a particular purpose. Obviously, he's got to bring the Messiah through this particular uh, generation of people. But not only that, He's going to bring his kingdom to this group of people. Look in Zechariah after the captivity, after the Jews have returned back to the land. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. Now I've said it before, I'll say it again. Anybody who thinks there is no future for the nation of Israel has never studied the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah is very clear that God has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel. You see, the problem is that for most Christians, they don't get into the Old Testament. They just stay in the New Testament. They're happy to stay with the Gospels. And they're happy to work their way through the Epistles up to the book of Jude. And then they don't want to get into the book of Revelation. And they don't want to go back into the Old Testament. But let me tell you something. All of it is God's revelation from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to Revelation 22. You've got to study the whole book. And here we are in the book of Zechariah in chapter 8 and verse 1. And look at what the prophet says. Now this is after, after they've returned the first time back to the land, having been exiled in Babylon. It says, Again the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. She's not called that today. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for every age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid from that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. Neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I said, all men, every one against his neighbor. But now... Now I will be unto the residue, the remnant of this people, as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, the ground shall give her increase, the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of these people to possess all these things. Friends, look at what we've just read. From Joseph's words in Genesis through to the words in, uh, in First Kings, spoken to Elijah, it's right through all of the post-exilic prophets, right now up into, or sorry, yeah, all, all the pre-exilic prophets, now into the post-exilic prophets. And the lesson is the same all along. God speaks of a remnant, a remnant, a remnant, a remnant, a remnant. Now you might be sitting there and you say, well, pastor, that was all very well until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, that all changed. And the church became Israel. And the church inherited the promises of Israel. You think so? Well, let's think about that this morning. Go with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. Now I'm pretty sure that Romans was written from Corinth when Paul was on his second missionary journey. And so the Lord Jesus has long since died, been buried, then risen again and ascended into the heavens. The church has been established. Pentecost has passed. And we find no greater passage addressing the future of Israel than this tract of Scripture that we find in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And of course, Romans is the great book for teaching us justification by faith. It's the book that enlightened Martin Luther, that sparked the Reformation. But having explained justification by faith in great detail, Paul turns to Israel. And he says, well, what about them? What about the nation of Israel? What about the Jews? He's going to answer that question in verse uh, chapter 9, 10, 11. Notice chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's the Jewish people, notice, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now notice verse 4. In verse 4, 
Paul is very clear. He tells us there that the adoption of the nation, the glory of the nation, the covenants given to the nation, the giving of the law, the ceremonies of the nation, the service of God, and the promises are all still pertaining to Israel. God hasn't changed his mind. He doesn't say they were pertaining. He says they are pertaining. To whom pertaineth the adoption? He sees them as being still in effect. So now that they've rejected Christ as their Savior, well, what's become about of these things? What about the, the covenants and the promises? Well, verse 6 gives us the first glimpse into the remnant. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they're not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now we have to understand the difference between the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. The children of Israel are all those who are the physical descendants of Abraham, many of whom are not saved. The uh, seed of Abraham are not merely physical descendants, but are spiritually born again. These are spiritual descendants. These are the very people whom Paul calls true Israel, the Israel of God. You see, when he uses that phrase, he's not speaking about Gentiles. He's not speaking about the church. He's talking about believing Jews. And he says of those believing Jews, they are the Israel of God. Now, here's the thing, friends. The gospel changed everything for Israel. That's what the day of Pentecost is about. You appreciate that Pentecost is one of the feast days that is recorded and is prescribed in Leviticus chapter 23. On that day when the Spirit came and inhabited the people of God, the church comprised then of both Jew and Gentile. The message of God was no longer going to be transmitted to the world through one people, but through many peoples. It wasn't going to be transmitted through one tongue, Hebrew, but through many tongues. That's why they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost. It was a judgment upon the nation of Israel. So things happened on that day. But what has happened to Israel? That's the question that Paul is asking here in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And let's go to verse 30 of chapter 9 of Romans. He says, what shall shall we say then? What shall we say then? Here's the great question. That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness. He says, do you really think that's what's happened? Do you believe for one moment that God gave to Israel the oracles of God, that they preserved the scriptures, that they preserved the messianic line, and then they get to the end of that journey and God cuts them off and gives everything to the Gentiles? Do you really think that's what God has done here? Is that it? Well, look, he continues on here. He's got more to say. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And they will be saved. Uh, having, uh, even, even though they have uh, disobeyed the gospel, they will be saved. Uh, ultimately, look in chapter six, uh, verse 16 of chapter 10. Paul acknowledges this, that, that many of them are in unbelief. And he says this, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
But I say, have they not heard? Yea, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words into the end of the world. For I say, did not Israel know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, All day long I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So there's an acknowledgement of the rebelliousness and of the unbelief of the Jew in contrast to the acceptance of Christ by the Gentile church. But the question is, is that it? Is God done with Israel? And Paul takes that question up in verse 1 of chapter 11. And he uses himself as an illustration. He says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Is that what we're saying? God is done with the Jewish people. That they're reprobate, that they're washed up, that they're finished. Look what Paul says. Has God cast away his people? God forbid. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now watch, he can't be any clearer. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Watch ye not, or know ye not, that the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, right now, in the heart of the church age, at this present time also, there is a remnant. There's that word. According to the election of grace. You see, he tells us that there is a believing remnant. And he's reminded us that the believers of old thought that they were the last of the Jews. And he takes you back to that incident with Elijah out in the wilderness, complaining to God that he's the only one. He's the last man standing. And God says, are you kidding me? I've got 7,000 others who believe. And Paul begins this tract of scripture. He says, you think God's done with the Jews? Listen, if God was done with the Jews, if he's cast off the Jews, why am I here? Am I not a Jew? He says, I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, listen, even if I was the only Jew left, I'd still be the remnant. But it's not just me. He says, there are plenty more where I come from. You see, every saved Jew forms the true Israel. Every saved Jew is a testament to the truth that God has not cast off his people. If they had, if he had, they'd all be damned, every single one of them. But God in his mercy and his grace has chosen to save some. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 7 because I want you to see this in the prophecies of John. Not just in the writings of Paul, but in the prophecies of John. Revelation chapter 7. Now, obviously, there are people who are Jewish 
who have believed on the Messiah. There are Messianic congregations all around the world. There are believing Jews in Israel today. I know that. I've met some of them. I've been in the land with those believers, shook hands with them, prayed with them, worshipped with them. I know they exist there. Listen, even now, as this war is going on against Hamas, understand that the the Israeli army is not entirely made up of Jewish people, whilst it's mostly made up of Jewish people. There are also Christians in that army, and there are Muslims in that army. And also, among the Jewish people, there are Messianic Jews, young Christian believers who come from Jewish extraction, who are wearing that uniform and who are fighting to maintain the survival of the nation of Israel. I know that because I know at least one young soldier who is a Christian who has fought for that army of Jewish extraction. So here's the thing. If you understand prophecy, you'll realize that we're now approaching that moment in time when the Lord Jesus comes to the air and he snatches away everybody who belongs to him. That's called the rapture. And of course, among those who are snatched away will be the Jewish believers just as much as the Gentile believers. So that when the tribulation period comes, there's not a, a, a saved Jew upon the earth. So the question arises, what happens after the rapture? Because if everybody, every Jew is going to meet the Lord in the air with every other believer, well, well, what happens, you know, there's now none left behind. And of course, John has got to answer that question, and he does in Revelation chapter 7. And he begins to tell us about a remnant. And he says, after these things, after what things? After they see the judgments. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor in any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Verse 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand, mark this, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And from verses 5 to verse 8, he goes through those tribes, 12,000 by 12,000, each tribe. Now the question has to be asked, well, where did these people come from? How did they get saved? Now, listen, we don't have all morning for this. But if you were to get into the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and chapter 39, you would read there of a war that's going to take place between Israel and Russia and and Turkey and and a whole conglomerate of nations that are going to come in upon Israel in the last days. And this will happen right after the rapture because Israel is sitting in safety. They're dwelling in safety. They're completely at ease. They're absolutely relaxed when suddenly they're attacked by these nations. 
And God does something dramatic, and he crushes those nations. And Ezekiel tells us that when he does so, there is a moment of revival. There's a moment of dawning. There's a realization on the part of the Jewish people that the God of Israel is the one who sent Christ to be their Savior. And here we read something of the outcome of that great revival in Israel. 144,000 Jewish witnesses who are sealed and protected for the duration of the tribulation period. You say, well, how do you know these people are a remnant? Look at chapter 12 of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. It says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but this is where Satan is thrown out of heaven for the last time, and he makes war uh, with the woman who brought Christ into the world, namely the nation of Israel. And it says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. And notice what it says. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. But not just that. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the church keep the commandments of God? We're not talking about the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about the ceremonial law. We're talking about the rituals of Israel. Are we, are we keeping the feast days of Leviticus 23? No, we're not. Are we keeping the law of circumcision? No, we don't. Do we mark the Sabbath day as Jews mark the Sabbath day? No, we don't. We don't do any of the things that the Jews of old were doing in the same way that they did it. Those things were unique to the nation. So when it speaks here about the remnant, it's talking about the Jewish people. He went to make war with the woman who's Israel, with the remnant of her seed, with those who are of the Abrahamic line, who keep the commandments, who are observing the feast days, who've been circumcised, who are marking the dietary laws, who are keeping all of the minutia of the 613 commandments that were given to Moses as part of Israel's culture and part of their character. And he says, of those people, those are those also who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These are believing Jews living during the tribulation and the Bible calls them the remnant of her seed. You see, though Satan makes war with these saints, they're under the protection of God. They are his elect. And this election was of a nation an election that pertains to Israel. God had chosen them as a people. And in particular, the remnant from whom, out of whom uh, believes. So that Paul confidently declares this in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. So all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, the deliverer, and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, Israel, when I shall take away their sins. Now, what have we seen this morning? We've seen from the very first book of your Bible to the 66th book of your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that the Jewish nation must be preserved. Mark Twain, we quoted him last week, said this, All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. 
What is the secret of his immortality? And the answer to that question is God. God is the secret. For as long as God is in his heaven, and as long as the sun shines in the daytime, and the moon shines in the evening, the Jewish people shall remain. They must do, because God has decreed it. And they will do, no matter what the world throws at them. Listen, you can have 300,000 neo-Nazis marching through London, crying from the river to the sea. You can have them there pretending that they're not Nazis, and that's what they are. And there's been a whole hullabaloo this week about our Home Secretary. People said that she incited violence by her words earlier in the week. What the BBC didn't tell you is this. They were violent last Saturday ever before she made those comments. They were rioting in Trafalgar Square in London, shooting fireworks at police officers who were standing on the steps of the National Gallery. And these people are out to exterminate Israel and to exterminate the Jewish people, but they cannot succeed. Why? Because God has decreed a remnant will remain forever. And the Jew will win. You see, no matter what the world throws at them, no matter what the UN says, no matter what forked-tongued allies may say, and I'm speaking about President Macron, who stands one day with Prime Minister Netanyahu and says, we'll stand right beside you. In a matter of weeks, he stands there and says, you need to stop the bombing. You need to stop attacking Hamas. No, listen, no matter whatever happens, no matter how much they've been hurt, even as a consequence of their own disobedience, the Jew will survive because God has decreed he will always have his remnant. They are the Captain Scarlet of the nations, completely indestructible. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.